He's like, I don't even want this stuff. I don't like this stuff. Star Wars is nothing. See far, far away. Star Wars toys began, and Kenner continues the excitement. The Empire Strikes Back collection. El regreso del Jedi. Welcome to the Star Wars Collector's Archive podcast. It's Kivecast. That Star Space Station, the snapper with space hatch. Sometimes known as the Vintage Pod. Wow, what a weird train! A monthly audio magazine dedicated to vintage Star Wars toys and memorabilia. Hosted by Sky Payne, Fudd, Chewbacca, and Stephen Lee Dem. Market data mined by Brisbane Brisbane Mike. Luke Skywalker handles his saber well. And Fantastic Pete. Tech support by the Lowe. This month's podcast is a continuation of last month's podcast. It's part two of the Leahoff. I'm currently in a car driving through Pennsylvania with Ron Salvatore and editing in the front seat. If it sounds different, if it sounds weird, it's probably because it is. Listen to a story from Ron recorded earlier and an amazing interview with Joker Savage, the great Leia Hoth master, plus a lot of other features I totally forget but must be in this episode when I edit it. All that and somehow more on this month's Kivecast Vintage Pod. Wampa Wampa. Welcome to Kivecast 52B, episode 2. I don't know what we want to call this one. <laughs> well, Steve, I know you love bees because you're a B-wing pilot, but no, we're actually going to call this episode 53. Okay. All right. So, in the event this is the first time you've ever listened to the to the the Kivecast, stop listening. Go listen to some other episode because the rest of our episodes make sense. This one doesn't, Steve. <laughs> no, not at all. <laughs> uh, f- first of all, I'm calling you on your cell phone, which we've never done. We've only ever been on Skype. Um, no, it's very strange. <laughs> second of all, what you're going to be hearing now is okay. It was a show that was recorded in May. Yes. That is our June show <laughs> that I am editing in July. Yes. <laughs> That's so, why we got, got, got rid of the months, I think. Yeah, <laughs> the I numbers think we do. makes it way easier. But I, I, I still, Steve, want it to be that we will have released one a month for as long as we've been doing the show. <laughs> so we're actually going to be seeing each other a couple times in the next month. I'm going out to California, and we're, we're meeting uh, down south a bit. So there should be a lot of really good Kivecast stuff. Steve, I'm actually hoping to edit this show while driving on a road trip with Ron Salvatore. Yes, yeah, I'm going to say, aren't you guys hitting the road soon? <laughs> yeah, we are. So I thought I could like sit shotgun and, and just kind of, you know, edit it. Um, yeah, that's awesome. So yeah, so you're going to hear uh, the Ron's awesome story. Um, you know, it's funny, actually, my my other brother, so I have three brothers, one who I've talked about, one who's Lobart, and then the third started listening to the show as well, and he was like... Oh, yeah? Yeah, he's like, that story about that fluffy guy, that was just outstanding, so... <laughs> <laughs> so we, we got we got more fluffy coming up, and finally uh, an interview with Joker Savage. Um <laughs> So, yeah, Steve, I just want to make sure to get you on there because I didn't even get you saying adios last month. Oh, that's right. I don't, that's, it's all kind of jumbled, but that's okay. Yeah, it's all kind of jumbled. So enjoy the second part of the Leia Hoth podcast, which we're calling – Leia Hoth is so awesome. She deserves two episodes, right, Steve? Oh, yeah. Yeah, I agree. 
Again, Obi-Wan Kenobi, zero. Layoff, two. <laughs> Uh, uh, all right, Steve. how it works out sometimes. Sounds good. So you, you want to rejoin the show? Uh, yep. I guess uh, let's, let's hit it. So when last we left off, we listened to the story uh, told by Tom Quinn during the Skyver Glass segment. Ron, what, what was your issue with that, uh, with that segment? I thought that you were just making it up as you went along. That's what I thought. But you see... I was doing a parody of the show This American Life on NPR. You ever listen to that, Ron? Nope. Completely flew over my head. Oh, if you did, you'd know there's this character called Ira Glass who does that kind of talking. And I was doing a dead-on impersonation of him. But I should have made it clear, that story was 100% true. So uh, that's where we last left off. So we will go back to listening to ourselves talk. Sound good, Ron? Uh, that sounds great, knobshite. No, that's a bad word for people in England. Oh, yeah, that's the other thing about the last episode. I, I wasn't try. I honestly believe that people should go and listen to the SWFUK podcast. I am totally in favor of that. I think it's a good show. I just had to comment on their inability to make a sound drop and I spell could hear the rage <laughs> and spell and spell Wookie. I am a fan of their show. <clears throat> okay. Anyways, for the fourth time this episode, back to the show. Uh, if, you, if anyone out there enjoys kind of uh, like good board games, but you have kids, there's a game called King of Tokyo, which is like, it's a cross between Yahtzee and Godzilla. And uh, <laughs> it's just, it's just an event more, you What like. words you want? <laughs> like if your kids aren't ready for Settlers of Catan, and if you're done with, you know, Monopoly or other stuff like that. That's like a, a really good game. Just going to throw that out there. The kids and I have, have there ever been a Monopoly, like a Godzilla-branded Monopoly? See, there's and a, if the, not, how can they have missed the boat on that? Oh, there's a Monopoly for everything. Who but is I it? mean, the Godzilla one would be awesome. Like, you could buy the hotels and then like Godzilla could... <laughs> That's <laughs> true. <laughs> yeah, yeah. There'd be no point. It'd be like an anarchist uh, or like a, you know, like a, a communist dream or something. Like, why you buy personal property? Uh, and that is a great idea. I mean, how come there's not a Destructo Godzilla version of Monopoly? There should be. Wait, wait, everything starts with a hotel, but if you <laughs> buy all three, then you can start destroying them. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, I, I love it. Man, We. I, I feel like we shouldn't record this. Someone's going to steal the idea. Um, <laughs> are, are, I believe I quote Ron when I say, are we still doing the news? <laughs> I think we've actually moved past it without really knowing, right? Uh, yeah. Well, that's why we do a Gargan Largan show, you know? Yeah. I mean, there's still another archive thing. I don't, whatever you want to do is fine. Yes, we want all the archive stuff. Don't be shy, Ron. Should I do it? Yes, do it. Oh, okay. So the last archive thing is uh, the Salacious Crumb Sculpt, which uh, is, the, I guess, the fourth item. So... If you're interested in seeing the wax sculpt for the little vintage salacious chrome that's on the archive wow. as well, just go to the news section, and there's a write-up and whatnot. So. Now, this is cool, because uh, I've seen this in person, huh. and uh, it looks really cool, but seeing it much larger in, <laughs> in the photograph, it actually, in some ways, is, is easier to appreciate. Uh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think you sort of, appreci sort of appreciate all the work that goes into making it, especially 
the different color waxes, which I think show the different stages that went in, you know, like sculpts and re-sculpts when they were doing it. And uh, also the fragility because it was broken and had to be pieced back together so you can see how it was busted in several areas, which is how I got it, actually. It was broke, all broken. Wait, wait so, and, so why is this wax sculpt in different colors? Um, if you read the description there, it'll tell you, like, uh, if you look at the hard copy, which is also on the page, you'll see that it has some differences, like the, the little clumpy fuzz on the shoulder um, is larger on the sculpt than on the hard copy, mm. and it's because the hard copy represents an early version of the sculpt. And so the the lighter wax, I think, is basically revisions. So at some point, someone went back and made revisions to the figure, and when they did so, they, the, the wax was a slightly different color. So you can see, like, the revisions that were made to it, especially on that shoulder there. It's like a lighter wax. Right. So you can actually see the, the process, like the, the drafting process, through the colors of, of wax. Yeah, pretty much. I mean, and you can see, like, one of the ears has... A big white lump on there where they did some changes. I think the legs where they 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 changed some of the wrinkles on the legs. So, so that's yeah. really cool that you can actually see the the drafting process in the sculpt and the hard copy. Um, yeah, and the nice thing about the hard copy and <clears throat> hard copies in general, especially if you get one of these rare preliminary ones, that sometimes they preserve earlier versions of the sculpt. Um, and that's the case with this one, where it's like you can definitely see that there are things in the hard copy details that were changed, you know, and then there's some other figures like that, like the the Tebow that has the snarling mouth and whatnot, you know, where they changed stuff, details on it. So one of the nice things about hard copies is that sometimes those turn up. And I, I can't help but notice, Ron, that you start off with an editorial. Oh, yeah, the question <laughs> of whether or not Salacious Crumb is a figure... I'm not going to debate you, Jerry. I'm not going to sit here and debate you. And I can't fight, so you don't think he's a figure? I don't consider him a, a regular part of the action figure set, but some people do. Okay, so he's not a part of the 90... Can we say 92 or 93? Well, if you include the um, multiple versions of C-3PO and R2-D2 plus the Rebo band, I'm, what's the number? I can't remember off the top of my head, but... You know what I mean? Yeah. I mean, the regular figure line. Right. You don't think he belongs up there. What do you think, Steve? Uh, I'm, I gotta say I'm with Ron. I mean, he's, he's part of a, a package deal with, with Jabba and the little set and all that. I, I don't know. I kind of, I mean, I he's think they're basically the return of the Jedi version of the Dianoga. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> right. That, that, that's really it. And really think about how annoyed you must be if you're Salacious Crumb or the Dianoga. <laughs> Walrus Man gets to be on th- what three different card backs, gets his whole thing. Not even Walrus Man, forget that. Uh, Hammerhead doesn't even, just goes, <laughs> that's it. Doesn't do anything, doesn't interact with anything. You're Dinoga, you almost end the movie right off the bat. You almost kill Luke Skywalker when he's sitting there. Salacious Crumb is like a major character. I mean, at least for me, when I was a kid, Salacious Crumb was like, it was like my favorite characters were like Boba Fett, yeah. uh, Salacious Crumb, <laughs> Jabba the Hutt. Did I say Salacious Crumb? Like I loved Salacious Crumb. So basically, you liked Salacious Crumb like orders of magnitude more than Han Solo. Oh uh, yeah, definitely, <laughs> definitely more than Han Solo. I mean, I, when I was a kid, I liked Salacious Crumb more than Chewbacca. I mean, I loved that thing. I thought it was hilarious. 
Um, yeah, he doesn't get that cool. much love, I guess, because he's because of Fraggle Rock. Like he just looks so much like Fraggle totally. Rock. He's totally a Fraggle. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I never even thought about that. Weirdly enough, I mean, I thought about the Henson connection to all those Java things, but I never actually thought that Salacious looked like a Fraggle. But you're kind of right. Now, whose trademark is stupidity, Steve? <laughs> Mine is definitely stupidity. Trademark. Well, and, and did you guys see the J.J. Abrams uh, thing? Oh, with the, the little guy walking by? Yeah, so they... Yeah. Did, did you see it, uh, Ron? No. It's actually this... Okay, this does count as vintage news. <clears throat> Even if I'm talking to the two biggest <laughs> vintage snobs in the world here. <laughs> Hitler Steve and Himmler uh, Ron. Um, but the, so they showed a figure. They showed a, an alien from the new movie. And he's like this weird sort of alien that looks kind of like a camel. And the cool thing was, again, if you monitor Star Wars media like I do, uh, even though they let me down with, with thinking of Max von Sydow as a B actor uh, from Flash Gordon, they, they did call him like Camel Man. And they really? said that he looked vintage. And, uh, you know, Kyle Newman, the fanboys director and oh, stuff, okay. he instantly yeah. started saying he wants this figure on a vintage card back. And even though it does look a little bit more Henson-y than like, yeah. uh, than like, you know, Cantina-y, uh, it, it does, it is an intentional move on JJ Abrams part oh, to yeah. be like, look at this alien. This looks like a vintage style alien, which yeah. is good for all the hammerhead and, uh, you know, Wallace man collectors. Vintage exploitation. <laughs> yep. It's totally one. <laughs> yeah. Did you just come up with that right now, Ron? I did indeed. Vintage exploitation? Yeah. I mean, that's kind of what the, the latest marketing push for the new movie has kind of been, right? I mean, the whole thing is, uh, like, yeah. hey, look, we're making a vintage Star Wars movie. <laughs> yeah. Okay, yeah, I get it. And Gentle that's Giant. Cool, I guess. I Gentle mean, Giant and, and Hasbro. Everyone's yep. doing vintage exploitation. Yep. Wait, are we doing vintage exploitation? No. <laughs> Wait, no. We're yeah, not. You guys are exempt from the whole one. thing. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Wow, I like that, Ron. I think that should be. See, this is why we got to write for Slate or something or other, you know? Because like we could totally write an article called "Vintage Exploitation" and we could research it a little bit and we could talk about uh, whatever uh, all these movies that are trying to go back to the original feel of what it used to be. I mean, even Godzilla to some extent is trying to do that in a way. Um, a lot of the stuff is trying to go back to remember the way it was, not the way it is. Yeah. Yeah, we're just trying to sell you stuff, dude. <laughs> we're just trying to sell you stuff. Oh, they are. I hate consumers. So let's get back to our podcast about buying toys. Uh, <laughs> Cutting in again here. Uh, we're still driving through. You know, Pennsylvania is an insanely big state. Every time I drive through it, I always think I should be done with it, but I'm not. It's a wonderful state. Don't get mad at me, Pennsylvania Collector Mafia. Um, but uh, I, I want to talk more about this vintage exploitation idea. Ron, have you put more thought into it since you said it three months ago? I did not remember I'd said it until you just played it on the laptop. <laughs> Man, I've been, I've been obsessed with this idea, and uh, I probably should have done more prep before I hit record. Um, but I think it's a, it's really a term that we need to think about because I, I think it's it's almost like it, it replaces depth. 
that if you can make something that seems like it's old, that you don't have to worry about it being good as long as it feels like it used to feel. So that like they can make a bad movie, but if they use you know, Fraggle Rock Muppets instead of CGI, people are just going to say, oh, that's good because it looks like that. But it's really just kind of surfacy. And uh, I don't know. I think, you know, send in emails, kivecast at gmail.com about other examples you can think of in terms of vintage exploitation. I think really Star Wars, we've seen a ton of it. And especially with the toy line realizing they can make more money if they make it look like Kenner. It's tapping into nostalgia, and it's tapping into this feeling that we've lost something. And we've still lost it, but they can kind of sell it back to us. And uh, I, I don't know, Ron, if, if you have more to say about that, you can say it now, or you, we'll, we'll jump in later. Do you have more to say about it now? <laughs> you have to give me a minute to think about it, man. All right, it's cool. I'll, I'll look out the window. You think about it. I'll kind of describe the, the countryside. We've got a couple dudes on motorcycles, not long for this world. Um, some trees. We're... Okay, okay, Ron's ready. I mean, just, uh, I guess what I said when we recorded the podcast originally, that they're just trying to sell you stuff is basically the short version, but in the long version, I guess, would be, I mean, obviously, someone associated with Star Wars has come up with the idea that uh, one of the things people didn't like about the prequels is that they were, their prequelness, so they're going to go in the opposite direction and give people stuff that's obviously vintage which includes, I guess, you know, puppets and practical effects and sets and things like that, which is fine, and I guess if that's what people want, that's great, but there's also the feeling of maybe it's not such a good idea if things are too, if it's too catered to fan interest, I think you lose something as well. I mean, there's nothing coming out of a, you feel like there's nothing coming out of some sort of creative source that's just, hey, I think this is a good idea and we're going to go with it. It's more like trying to expect what fans want and giving it to them, which maybe is a good idea. I don't know, but maybe has some downsides as well. Like Maybe that's something to think about. Yeah, we've actually been, been having this long conversation in which, in a sort of weird, bizarro world, Ron has been telling me all the great things about the prequels. Um, but Or the things that are good about it. And this is just... You know, really off the rails, but I think it's something worth worth wondering. That everyone loves these superhero movies, and they're great. They're they're well done and everything, but they really aren't contributing anything new. And that's what the prequels did. They were new and they were different. They weren't necessarily good in every way, but do we really want to trade in artistic creation for just formulaic goodness? Uh oh, Ron, I'm getting I'm getting an old Frenchy thought. Well, you know, because part of the reason that the new wave of French cinema happened was because they wanted to replace in French cinema what was called the tradition of quality. And what that meant was that the movies were all of a certain quality. They were good and they were not bad and they had a certain formula, but like there was nothing new or vibrant or exciting or artistically innovative about it. And it's kind of like Oscar movies. You think about Oscar movies, there's that tradition of quality that's like... You know, the reason that Pulp Fiction can't win and the reason that, you know, movies like, you know, 12 Years a Slave win is because there's like a formula for quality and importance and good. And maybe like this whole vintage feel is kind of getting wrapped up into that sort of lack of creativity and, uh, and creation. All right. I guess we can get back to the show. Maybe I'll jump back on later. I'm now currently driving. Oh, my God. I'm driving by some place that's called Shetron Auction and Equipment. So, I guess... Like my name plus shit. <laughs> hey, man. It's the second thing. Say shite. We don't have to edit it. 
man, now I just I hit stop on the recorder, and then Ron starts going on. No, no, First no, of no. all, he criticized Truffaut and all the directors, saying that their take on the traditional quality was maybe a bit short-sighted. And it's true. I don't want to really get into it. That was just kind of an example. Maybe this is the one person in the world I shouldn't be having this argument with. But then he asked me if we ever had a debate about the gentle giant uh, jumbo vintage figures. And, and Ron, what, what, what's your reaction to it? I think I was more giving you suggestions for future podcasts rather than trying to jump into this right now. All right. Steve, or should we just say screw the features? Just stay uh, larking, carking. We, we can call pick and choose. Night. I mean, uh, what, what are you? What are your uh, your highlights of these? We don't have to do all of them. Well, we still haven't gotten to the story time with Ron. We yeah. don't have to do all of them. Um, no, do all of them. Okay, let's let's do a super quick unloved. Okay. Okay, I'm just gonna play three seconds of the of the theme. Only the unloved Okay, I got two words for you. You ready? Mm-hmm. Marvel good. Okay, moving on <laughs> to the nugget. No, Steve, okay, what was your idea with the unloved? Uh, well, I mean, just trying to branch out into other stuff and stuff that I didn't really pay that much attention to, and one of those was the Marvel comics, and... Uh, I, back at the California Vintage meeting, R had actually brought a bunch of these that were kind of in rough shape to just kind of give away. And just looking through them, I grabbed a few that I thought were, were interesting. Uh, one was like a follow-up to our Lobot episode where it says something to do with that whole, like, I'm not insurrection thing where Lobot's, like, initially malprogrammed and he's trying to beat up Lando. Anyway, that, that's one cover that I found entertaining. Right, which is beautiful because it's Lando giving a two-handed slap. Yeah, I mean, Lobot yeah. giving a two-headed Ooh, slap. That. That's like crazy. <laughs> yeah, it's nuts, right? Like I saw that, I'm like, no way. Is that um, some like special Lobot, like martial arts style? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> the double hand. Clench yeah. your fists together and swing. It looks swing almost like, like you a, baseball have a baseball bat. bat. Yeah, yeah, totally. <laughs> what the? That's just weird. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, I just realized that there's so much great, uh, not just in the comic books, I was just looking at covers first, and with this being a, a Leia Hoff month, there was a couple good Leia covers. Uh, yeah, Leia, there like, were. Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. Also the duck face Leia picture. <laughs> <laughs> and there's like a hang glider in the background. Oh, yeah. The disembodied Lando head. This is my favorite one. It's wow. Star Wars Double Jeopardy. Uh, it's got Leia with this, like, pink alien character. In the background, though, you have Luke on this, like, Wright Brothers hang glider, which <laughs> seems very not Star Wars. Uh, I mean, how... Very kitty just, hawk. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's bizarre. And then I just noticed... No, like, it's a below, mad, mad, mad world, or around yeah, the world yeah. 80 days. That's what there it looks like. Yeah, well, that's true. You got, like, this weird, like, almost... He's dangling, like, or parasailing with a, a balloon on the other one. Uh, but then down in the corner, you've got like Chewie facing off with Beast from X Men. Like, oh yeah, <laughs> and there's but also there's a just, reference yeah. to uh, Brisbane, or close to Brisbane. Oh yeah, oh, yeah. Lasbane. <laughs> it's actually Lasbane, uh, but yeah. <laughs> but no, I mean, close there's enough. just like, and what's great is I think pretty much every I think every color is on the archive, so you can scroll through and see for yourself like how much is out there and I, I just as someone that didn't really grow up loving comics appreciating them now is just it's a lot of fun so I'm, I think what I'm going to do is pick one to hang up at my desk and kind of just rotate them out every now and then 
But yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah, I mean, I think I don't know how many. I know there's people that love these, but not, from my perspective, I just hadn't really given them enough attention. So, did uh, either of you guys like uh, comics when you were kids? Big comics guys. Like in in uh, in high school, I kind of bought into the Image Comics uh, phase, which oh, yeah. was regrettable. Um, but, uh, no, like, my brothers had, like, old comic books hanging around, and I'd read them, but I never got super into them. Yeah. yeah. The only thing comic-related I mean, that I was into is, like, the comic cards. There were those cards that, I forgot what company put them out, but those were really huge. But I, I never yeah. never went to comic book shops and bought comics. That just wasn't... Yeah, you know, when I was a kid, like, comic books I had no interest in. I don't know why. I think the only comic I ever got was my mom bought me a Star Wars comic because I like Star Wars and I just remember reading it and being like, this is dumb. (laughs) 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 It has like a dragons or something in it and I just remember thinking this doesn't seem like Star Wars at all. Yeah, and that's that's a common thing based on (laughs) some of these these covers. They don't seem too Star Wars-y, but... Well, I I love this other one, Steve, this other Leia one where she's looking quite, quite fetching. And it just says, Golroth never forgets. Yeah. This is like, I did kind of start reading the beginning of this one just because I saw the line, Luke Skywalker stands trial for treason and Leia fights alone. So it's like, I don't know exactly what he did. He's accused of like sabotaging some mission and, and killing other rebels. And she ends up having to go off and, and do her thing on her own, which which is, uh, I just thought, an interesting take on things. But yeah, yeah. I mean, there's just a whole world there that... that I feel like I gotta start diving into more just for pure entertainment value at this point. Right. I mean, the, yeah, the, look at Leia. I was like all sexy in this one here. She is. So should we go to story time? <laughs> uh, I guess so, man. I mean, I don't. You know, I'm always kind of uh, unsure about my preparedness for these things, but yeah. I mean, I got one that I was uh, looking at. All right, cool. Telling. Here's an oldie but goodie. Once upon a time, long ago, Tikalo Carpet. <laughs> Tikalo Carbon Story Time. Hit it! Hit it! Toronto, gosh! All right, I, I just played the drop, Ron. Tell us your your. St- this is, I mean, you have to understand, Ron. We get, you know, we get some feedback every month, and whenever you tell a story, the feedback is always, "Hey, that story was great." So you just well. Just telling them around, uh, you know, parties and stuff. Collector gets togethers for years, so I've had enough practice telling these stories. <laughs> but um, that's cool. I mean, until people get bored of them, I guess. You know, I don't want to get a big head telling these things. But well, the, the one I the one I was thinking of this time was like I said, it, it it's another um, in the line of uh, fluffy stories. I, I listened to the podcast last time when we told the story about. The big coin and mold find, which Fluffy and I went on on a road trip. I sort of felt bad because I felt like all I did was emphasize the um, the crazy aspects of Fluffy rather than the, the, a lot of the good aspects. And there's a lot of good stuff about Fluffy as well as crazy stuff, you know, because he's a real good friend of mine and everything. But um, yeah, I don't think people maybe realize that the the guy we call Fluffy is probably the king of all time uh, as far as turning up crazy pre-production Kenner items goes, as well as a significant figure in props. And uh, as far as, like, how he's done this over the years, I would say that he's just kind of, like, 
the golden child when it comes to hunting people down and talking to people on the phone. Right. Like, I've really never met somebody in my life who was, like, I don't know, talented, I guess is the word, or just, like, freakishly good at, I don't want to say schmoozing, but, like, talking to people, like, and getting on their good side on the phone and getting them to open up about what they might have. It's just, like, he's got, like, a special gift for that kind of thing, which works into the whole Wolf of Wall Street thing, because if you watch that movie, you'll see Jordan Belfort, who is this, like, semi-sleazy Long Island stockbroker guy who wants to basically sell crazy stuff to people, and he kind of recruits people to, to do this stuff for him. And, you know, Fluffy, without getting into too many specifics, Fluffy um, definitely was kind of in that world, not to say the illegal world, but in the world of, you know, calling, cold calling people and selling them stocks. You know, that's kind of what he was doing when he was younger. And he got recruited to do this stuff. So uh, that's just kind of his talent, you know. And so when I met him, he was still a stockbroker. And uh, uh-huh. um, <laughs> actually, just a diversion from the story. The first time I met Fluffy was with, with Gus Lopez. Probably the, I knew Gus for a long time, but probably the first time I met Gus in person as well when he was visiting his parents in Jersey. And he was like, yeah, you can meet me. We met at Plastic Dreams, which was Josh Felinski's store in Jersey. He's like, there's this guy named Fluffy, you know. <laughs> he said his real name, obviously. And he seems like an alright guy. I've never met him. He wants to meet up. And I was like, yeah, what the heck, you know, we'll meet this guy. And Gus and I are standing outside Plastic Dreams, and he just, this Mercedes, black Mercedes Benz, like, zooms around the corner and just, like, parks illegally. And he just jumps out the car, <laughs> wearing, like, an expensive-looking blazer. And he's like, dude, he's, like, giving everybody hugs. And I'm like, I don't know this guy. I'm hugging him. I'm like, hey, Fluffy, how you doing? And, like, we, you know, we, we were talking to him, and he had a tape of, there was a guy at this time who was selling fake vinyl cape Jawas. Okay. And Fluffy had called him and of course got on his good side immediately on the phone and, and got him to open up about his whole Vinyl Cape Jawa operation and he taped him. <laughs> He's playing <laughs> that's the night. This tape of him like talking about Vinyl Cape Jawas and you know, he's like, yo, you see what he says here, this and that. I mean, he's like debating all this stuff. Wait, so he, like, he talks about how he was, fa- he got the guy to talk about how no, he was No, he didn't admit to faking him, but he said a bunch of weird stuff. <laughs> but the funny thing about it was that he just taped it and it was like, we meet this guy, he's got all these cassettes, like, like hours and <laughs> he taped this guy. Gus and I are just like, well, this is interesting, this guy has these tapes. And, uh, you know, he was basically fluffy, you know, he was just all over the place. We went out, and he was a super nice guy, but also just kind of like fast-talking, like Long Island guy, you know? Right. And that was the first time I ever met him. But after that, we kind of, like, Fluffy's kind of, like, he's a phone guy. Like, he's definitely, and he's, like, big on connections, making connections with people, talking to people on the phone. And he would call me, and I would just be like, all right, you know, to be honest, like, he's one of my best friends and all this stuff after all those years. But at the time, like, he's not like me at all. <laughs> he's like 180 degrees from me. And, like, I was just like, this guy, he keeps calling me. Like, <laughs> that's cool. Like, it's fun to talk to him, but it's like, I don't know what the angle is. You know, I think he just wanted to talk. You know, he wanted to keep in touch with people, which was cool. And we ended up both knowing this guy who was selling his collection. That's a whole other story. And, and we both bought some stuff from High Catline. And I sort of knew him in a tangential sort of way. Um, but we talk every once, in a, every once in a while, you know, shoot the bull or whatever. And so one day he calls me out of the blue. And I remember, I'm, I'm still living with my parents at the time. This is like 1997, you know. And I'm like, 
you know, 22, and still in school. And I remember standing in my parents' living room, and he called me, and he's like, hey, you're never going to guess what happened. He's like, I was calling these guys. He, he bought lead lists from some company that sells to stockbrokers, like, like basically addresses and phone numbers of rich people, so they can cold call them and try to sell them stocks. Huh. And uh, which sounds skeevy, but that's, that's I guess, what's done. <laughs> <laughs> so, and he was cold calling people, and he happened to see someone was in the Cincinnati area. And uh, just out of the blue, he's like, hey, do you know anyone who used to work for Kenner? And the guy's like, yeah, I used to work for Kenner. And, and so he was like, really? And they got into this whole conversation about the stuff this guy used to do for Kenner. Like, he didn't work directly for Kenner, but he was contracted to Kenner. And the guy gave him the names of, like, three or four other people who also did work for Kenner. And based on that, he had talked to, like, four or five guys who worked for Kenner, including, I think he had talked to some, like, basically some big people over there who, like, worked on the Star Wars line years ago. Huh. And so he just calls me, he dumps that on my lap. He's like, hey, what do you think about that? <laughs> and the reason he... <laughs> it was just like, well, I mean, and the reason he called me about that was because um, a few months earlier, we'd all gone to this Men Behind the Mask show in Cincinnati, and Fluffy had driven out there with someone, and we saw him for like three minutes. <laughs> I hardly see him at all, but he was there, and I think he knew that we had met with some kinder people, so he, he knew that this was a good, like, this was something that was viable, like he could meet people who used to work for Kenner. And so he's like, yeah, you know, I know that you guys met with some people out there. And he's like, here's some names. And I'm like, well, man. He's like, well, what should I ask these guys? You know, what what do you think I should ask them? Like, he's just looking for, like, leads to go on, like, you know, to, to follow up. And I'm like, well, why don't you forget that part, you know, let's try to meet up with them sometime, you know, drive out there and meet up with these guys. He's like, yeah, yeah, that sounds like a good idea. And we were bouncing stuff around, and at this point, Fluffy knew Gus and me, but he, he, I think he met Chris briefly out in Cincinnati at that show. He didn't really know him, though, and he didn't really know Todd. And I'm like, well, these other guys are, you know, pretty good guys that I know. Todd Chamberlain and Chris Tregulius, you know, Todd lives out here now, and I could drive out there. We could drive out there with us or, or whatever. And he's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. And, you know, and he goes, you know what? I also got this thing, like, this at the time this was top secret, but it's so long ago now, like <laughs> 15 right. years ago. Like, Fluffy and Gus had been invited out to Hasbro to do some sort of test focus, test marketing thing or something with some wow. event at Hasbro. So they were going out to sit down anyway. So it was like, he's like, I'm going out there anyway. So I'm like, wow. I was like, well, 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 let me hook up with this guy, Todd, who I knew Todd for a little while then. And I was like, we'll drive out there and meet you. And he's like, you can't tell anyone about this event. And I was like, I'm not going to say anything about this event. Like, I don't care about whatever you're doing at Hasbro. I'm just, whatever. I was like, I'm interested in this other stuff. So, I mean, long story short, on this part, you know, Todd and I drove all the way out there. And Fluffy and Gus went out there for their, their Hasbro thing. And Todd and I stayed in the hotel. And um, Fluffy had set up a series of meetings with people. We probably, four or five people. And this is like... And he's only been working on this for like a month. Like he's got like four or five meetings. Wow. And like good people too. And so Todd and I went out there and we're like going into the hotels at the Westin Hotel in Cincinnati. And there was a bunch of Star Wars collecting people who were also invited. But we were in, like, I remember some of them spotted Todd and I and they knew us. And we were like, just like, hey guys, how's it going? Pretend you didn't see us. And like, we just went and hung out in the room. 
And we also had to try to hide from Steve Sanswick, who was out there. And I remember hiding behind like a pillar because Steve was coming in. We <laughs> go. We were there. It's so stupid. But like later on, Todd ran into him, and Steve was like, "You guys are incorrigible. What the heck are you doing out here?" And he's like, "We're not here for that thing. We're just here for something else. Just forget about it." And um, so anyway, um, Gus and Fluffy are at this thing. You know, they're doing stuff all day, and so Todd and I are just, you know left to meet with these people that Fluffy set up the meetings with in the hotel up the Westin. So we're in Fluffy's room, and he's away, and Todd and I are just hanging out, like, watching TV and stuff. And actually, Steve Denny came up to meet us. And this was the second time I met Steve. And he hung out for a while. I just remember chilling out with Steve, talking about collecting in this room, you know. And uh, But a couple of guys came in to uh, have meetings with us, and you know, they had worked on the coin line. There were guys who were contracted to work on the coin line. And one guy had a bunch of portfolios and stuff he did. I don't think he had any Star Wars stuff, but he was a nice guy. And we talked to him. And the other guy, who was like his partner, had some actual stuff, but he didn't. He didn't sell it. It became a running joke over the years that this guy never wanted to sell his stuff. Like he had some coin albums and some different things like that. And. uh So, but it was funny because meeting us, like talking to Fluffy, I think they got the idea that we were like these like. These slicker guys who are here like to, to work big deals and like are maybe interested in like contracting them to do like design work or something, and because Fluffy comes across as very like I don't know business like you know, like high rolling I guess yeah, and they were just like no it's Todd and I were like in our twenties and dressed like we're you know like bums and they're just like oh here's <laughs> just two kids <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> so we were just talking to him and like we got all the information at some point Fluffy just barges into the room he's like hey hey how's it going how's it going yeah bro good to meet you good to meet you and he's shaking their hands I've got to run back and he like runs out the door <laughs> he's like okay what what happened these guys are looking at us we're like oh he's busy with something they're like they're just confused like this is the guy who set up this meeting and here they are meeting with Todd and I instead <laughs> and then Fluffy runs in and then runs back out again and I mean so that was that part of it, and then Todd and I went back to the Motel 6 we were staying at, and we didn't have anything to do. Like, those guys were busy, and we're just, like, hanging out. I remember we went to a bookstore, and we looked up, we found a copy of Steve's concept to screen a collectible book, and we were looking through it for names and trying to find the names of the people who used to work there in the phone book and calling them, and we, that's what we were trying to do. Huh. But it was mostly pretty boring, uh, although Fluffy set up another meeting with a... um Someone who did some work for Kenner, not didn't didn't work directly for Kenner, but did some work for them. And Fluffy insisted this guy was a whale. That was a stockbroker term. Again, you'll hear this term used in the Wolf of Wall Street. He's like, "Oh, this guy's a whale, bro. He's a whale. He's got. He trusts me. He's a whale." And we're like, "Okay." So we all go to meet this guy, and it's me, Gus, Fluffy, Todd, and there was another guy who who was tailing along with us at that point. And he had a video camera. The other guy, we're like, he's just like videotaping stuff. We're like, okay, cool, like whatever. Like, and so we're at this guy's office, and he's taking videos. He's like, hey, you mind if I film around here? And the guy's like, no, that's okay, you can film around here. But then we talk to the guy, the supposed whale, and he's like, I don't got anything. I don't have anything. <laughs> we're like, wow, what the heck? And you know, Fluffy's like, I don't understand. He told me, and he's like, no, 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 I got, I got rid of all that stuff. We're like, oh, so, so we leave there, and that was like. You know, disappointing. But to skip ahead, years later, it turns out that this guy did have quite a bit of stuff, and he sold. He, it was like a major haul, and he sold it all to somebody else. 
Huh. And um, keep in mind that Chris, Chris didn't come on this trip, Chris Tregulis didn't, because for some reason he couldn't make it, so he wasn't there. But years ago, I mean, Fluffy and Chris are always have a habit of like bickering about stuff. Right? <laughs> to be honest, they have a habit of good friends, but they have a habit of bickering about things. And I think Fluffy was mad at Chris about something, and he calls me and he's like, "And you remember that deal years ago? Remember that deal years ago, bro?" And I'm like. Yeah, he's like, and we didn't get out. You know why we missed out on that deal? He's like, because of Chris. I was like, why? Because of Chris. Like, I was waiting for his explanation. Like, why exactly? And he's like, he had a video camera, bro. He had a video camera. He told me he didn't sell because Chris had a video camera. And I'm like, well, Chris wasn't there, Fluffy. He's like, yeah, he was. He was there. I'm like, no, he wasn't. He wasn't there. He wasn't even there. And he's like, oh, he wasn't? <laughs> <laughs> Somebody else had the video camera. Like, that may have been the reason he didn't sell, but it wasn't it had anything to do with Chris. <laughs> Don't have to worry about that part of it. Um, and then we met with another guy who was involved with the model shop. And you'll like this guy. He, he was a good guy. He, was, he had been a model shop guy, a, a pretty important guy. And he didn't work for Hasbro or Kenner anymore. And now he was like... He had like a collectible store, and he was basically living by selling Beanie Babies. This was like a time when Beanie Babies were big. <laughs> wow. And we went to meet him, and he was kind of a gruff guy, and he's like, yeah. I'm not well, you, you'd be gruff, baby. too, if you made a, a living off of Beanie Babies. Right. Yeah, well, he seemed to be doing pretty well on the Beanie Babies at that point. But the only thing he showed us, I think, was a 12-inch, well, 12-inch, a large-size Chewbacca hard copy, fully painted. Wow. And it was just like, whoa. <laughs> we all were like, whoa, this is like major, you know. But he told us he didn't want to sell it. He sold it later on. And we bought some good stuff from him later on, but at this point, this was like, we were kind of like, didn't know what we were doing at this point, and it was like, seemed like every deal we kind of screwed up or some way, or like, just kind of, you know, we met people, and it took a while to get in the groove, but... It, it, was, it was mainly like not knowing how to close the deal, so to speak, like how to get them to sell, or what was yeah, it that, that changed? Yeah, and it was just not presenting things in the right way, and just rough around the edges, you know, like didn't some stuff fell through and there's a whole other story about this guy like later on we bought some stuff from him and we also got into like a competition with another person trying to buy stuff with him and from him and we kind of lost out on some good stuff and there's, there's a whole funny story involving that but yeah at that point I would say it just we were rough around the edges and later on it became like a machine where we're like really good with that stuff you know it's like you know, you've seen American Pickers where those guys go in and they have a whole routine and they talk about strategies and stuff. Like, not like underhanded strategies, but just like the way you present stuff and all that, that stuff. And it, it, when you're just like some kids and you're popping up and you're just like, oh, hey, that's a really cool piece. Like, I've never seen that before. Like, it, it's just like you don't, you're not really like on your game. And that, that was kind of like what it was early on. We were just kind of there, like mostly hoping to talk to people. And the buying side of it didn't really pan out until a little bit later. Right. But So he showed it to us, and he kind of made a big deal about, I'm never going to sell this. Of course, he, he was. <laughs> he was interested in selling it, but he said he didn't, and we didn't follow up on it, and we didn't end up getting that piece. But that was probably the best item we saw on that trip. Huh. Um, and so that was another guy, you know, and later on we met with him again. Um, but... You know, the, basically this Hasbro thing ran its course, and um, Fluffy's leads kind of, we, we, we went on all of them, and it was awesome. Like, it was, the fact that he was able to pull all those people together was just, like, just awesome. Like, just the, even if we didn't 
anything, the fact that we met these people was just amazing. And that was like the beginning of Fluffy basically, you know, for a, a, a few years, like, it seemed like all he did was track down Kendra people. And he was like the best of all time. Like, just like the best of all time. Like, I mean, just freakishly talented with that stuff. Like, right. none of us could believe it. Um, and the Hasbro thing wound down, and Fluffy had to fly out. Uh, Ron actually suggested we interject here. Uh, we're currently driving through West Virginia now. I think I'm going to be driving right by that same brother I talked about earlier's house, which you know, it feels weird, like guilty, when you drive by your family members' houses when you're going somewhere else and you don't stop. Uh, so, Warren, if you listen to this, uh, sorry I drove by your house. But I got Star Wars toys to look at, man. You know what my, my priorities are. Uh, so uh, we just listened to the whole story, the Fluffy story, and Ron's actually going to continue to talk about another story that goes on once Fluffy left Cincinnati. Whoa! Before we get to Ron's next story, I wanted to tell a quick horror story from shipping. I think we should integrate that into our show, like horror stories from shipping. This didn't happen to me. This happened to a friend of mine. And uh, the... The very same Chewbacca hand-painted 12-inch hard copy, it's actually 15-inch, hard copy, not that she's counting, a uh, hard copy that, uh, that Ron was discussing being unearthed in Cincinnati 15 years ago, uh, was sold a few times, and then it was offered to me. Uh, it was in between four and $6,000 was the final price. I don't remember exactly what it sold for. And the person who won it... Uh, you know, was very happy to get it. And then the person who sold it, who I won't name, shipped it in... First of all, you have to know about how heavy do you think this thing was, Ron? You held it. I would say 10 to 12 pounds. Okay, so about a 10 to 12 pound hunk of... what? What's the exact uh, uh, material? Uh, Carbolon. So about 12 pounds of Carbolon was shipped in a... <laughs> In a cardboard box with some styrofoam peanuts. Not enough to stop it from moving, but just some styrofoam peanuts. <laughs> so it went over a large body of water through much of the country, the United States of America, just dragging along the bottom of a single cardboard box. This very same item that was found by Fluffy, Ron, Todd, and definitely not Chris Jorgulius uh, 15 years ago. It's uh, it's in another yeah, and Gus. It's now in another person's collection. What you're saying is the guy who shipped it was a knobshite. I, I am saying that, <laughs> but uh, uh, it it was a knobshitey move. I wouldn't say he what he is one, okay. um, but I just yeah. To make, make sure that that that's what you were saying. Yeah, um, I don't I don't think that word has ever been said in West Virginia. Has uh, now, baby. That's right. Um, and also, did it work to? To, to just call people out of Sand Suite's book? Did you get, actually get a hold of anybody? Um, I think we pulled a few names out of there, which we already knew, but we're just trying to confirm, and we tried to look them up in the phone book, and we may have dialed a few people and just gotten nowhere. <laughs> so, uh, I guess I don't think the idea was bad, but it, not, it didn't work, no. Okay. I guess I should have asked that before I, I hit record. Fluffy to uh, have any success with that, you know. Right. As we've just established, one, one must have fluffitude in, in order to get through... Um, so uh, the one thing that the reason I stopped this is because the story we're going to go into now actually refers to if you listen to the previous month's podcast uh, where we talked about the auctions in the toy shop magazine from 1996 when was that? I think it was 90, 
95 or 96? N- 95 or 96. Sculps. Right, the sculpts. So remember we talked about the, the micro uh, the micro sculpts for Leia Hoth and the Star Tot sculpts that were auctioned off in the four figures, but no one actually won them. So the story that Ron is going to talk about now is referring to that auction. Okay, let's get back to the story. And I, Gus had a little bit later flight, so he was with Todd and I. We were going to take him to the airport. And uh, we met with another guy who was a lead Gus had. And this was the last thing. So Fluffy wasn't there. It was just me, Todd, and Gus. And we had met with this guy briefly at the Men Behind the Mask show. Basically, this is where it ties into that whole toy shop ad. This guy had been, I don't want to say contracted, but basically kind of contracted by the source of those sculpts and stuff that were in the toy shop ad and uh, to sell them in toy shop for this guy, the source of them. So the toy shop ad was run by, by this guy. Or maybe I'm getting a part of the story wrong. Maybe there was another intermediary there, but he had the items from the toy, toy shop ad that wow. never sold. Um, some of the stuff sold after the auction. Like I mentioned, I think Duncan Jenkins may have got one by calling the person later and, and buying it for under the minimum bid. Like some people bought some stuff, but he still had a lot of it, this guy. Huh. And uh, we'll call him Scaly. Scaly? <laughs> we have Fluffy and Scaly. Scaly well, isn't like alligator scales. Is, it, is that and, <laughs> based on his appearance? or? Uh, just, just, we'll just call him Scaly. I mean, we okay. have... Um, Woodchuck, scaly, fluffy. This guy will be scaly. Okay. So um, he had a he had a um, worked at an antique mall, selling mostly you know graphical stuff like posters and prints and things. And he, he seemed to have just a, he was a character. Like all these guys, everybody we met was a character. Like he had a contempt for Star Wars. Let's put it that way. Like he had all this stuff. Like so, not only did he have this, he had microscopes, micro hard copies. Three three quarter inch hard copies, and this is like at a time when almost no hard copies are around. There was a few that came through the earth, but this is like the first time I think any of us had had opportunities or even seen unpainted figure hard copies. And um, so, it's just in a box, like basically take like a box from your garage that you keep like rusty old car parts in. And chuck your most valuable prototypes and stuff into this box, and just clutter them around with dust and pieces of junk. You know? Okay. <laughs> he'd pull this box out and he'd plop it on the kick on the on the counter in front of him, and start talking about how junky Star Wars was. He's like, I don't even want this stuff. I don't like this stuff. Star Wars is nothing. He's like, you guys can talk all you want about this stuff, but I sell. Prints by Maxfield Parrish for thousands of dollars. We're like, okay. <laughs> so you'll sell it cheap, right? He's like, you think that since he didn't like it and it was so junky, he'd sell it for nothing? No, that wasn't his idea. Like, and plus, he had lots of blue stuff. Lots of it was blue. This is like part of the whole piece of the puzzle on the blue stuff and the green stuff, the blue harvest stuff. Like, just to, in case people aren't familiar, there's blue stuff was made in the 90s. Uh, hard copies out of blue material and it was fake out of like original molds and off of molds out of molds made off of original pieces and so he had a bunch of blue stuff and so somewhere in the line of whoever made that blue stuff like Scaly was in there and he got a chunk of it hmm. so, Wait, had so he got, got a chunk of the fake stuff yeah okay and it's it's never been completely resolved what actually happened there but he was in somewhere in, along the line he 
acquired, he got some of that stuff. So it was like green stuff, good green stuff, and then bad blue stuff, and, you know, mixed and matched. And, you know, so we're like, yeah, you know, we told you earlier, Scaly, this blue stuff is not good. And he'd be like, I don't care what you guys say. If it comes from the original molds, it's original. And, like, he'd debate, and we'd just, like, nod and be like, yeah, whatever. I was like, well, whatever you care, like, whatever you say, Scaly, we're not paying what you want for this stuff here. <laughs> and, like, this other stuff, maybe we'll make a deal, you know, or trying to work out a deal. And, um, uh, but long story short, like, we ended up, didn't buy all of his stuff, but we bought, I think, most of his, like, three, three-quarter-inch hard copy stuff, blue and green. And, um, but it was a long, drawn-out process trying to, uh, to buy this stuff from him. And, and at one point, you know, he's sitting there, like I said, he had contempt for Star Wars, and he's holding, like, I don't know what it was. It was like a, it was a green hard copy. It was maybe like a Klaatu hard copy, like complete hard copy, you know, worth, like, tons of money now, right? At the right. time, maybe worth, like, 500 bucks or something. But still, it was a great piece. And he's got it in the hand. Imagine, like, he's standing at the back of a counter, and he's got it in his hand, and he's holding the thing by, like, the legs. And, and as he's talking, like, his hand is moving up and down. <laughs> and and he's like this stuff Star Wars stuff see I don't care about this stuff he's like you guys can make all the cheap waffles you want but I don't you know I don't care whether this sells or not to me this stuff is garbage and, and as he's talking he knocks that thing against the counter in front of him oh no <laughs> like the arm breaks off it breaks in half oh. and like he's talking right and so he and as he does it he's like I don't care about this and then it breaks and he's like like I said, I don't care about this stuff. And he just keeps on talking like nothing happened. And we're just all like, oh, my God. Like, we're just staring at like this broken piece. And, like, all of us are just like, I can't believe, like, he's just going on with this stuff. And we bought it, and we walked out of there. But as soon as we did, like, all of us, the first thing we said was like, can you believe that? He just broke that thing, and he just kept talking right through it like it didn't matter. And, um... Uh, and then we went to like a Burger King or something and we kind of split up the stuff and drove Gus to the airport. And that was like the end of kind of the first trip that, that we made out to Cincinnati to buy stuff. But in later, later years, we would meet up with the model shop guy with the Chewbacca again and we'd meet up with Scaly a few more times and bought out the rest of his stuff, including the rest of that micro stuff. And that's where the Leia Hoth sculpt that I have came from. Like Mike Mensinger ended up with it. And then I got it from Mike later on in a trade. Um, and, you know, Fluffy would continue on with all his, his deals. Right. So, so that was it. basically the, the, one of the earliest trips out there. And so yeah. like, it was like establishing what things were. Now, where did that clap to hard copy end up? Oh, I have no idea. I mean, the people who ended up with that stuff were probably like, me, Todd, Gus, Chris, Fluffy, Will Grief, maybe, like Rob Johnson, I think, got some things, Gary Pedersen. Someone ended up with it. I'm sure it glued back together, but still the fact right. that he broke it. Yeah. You know, um, I don't even know if it was Klaatu. I'm just, I can't remember. It was something like that. It was, I think it was a Jedi figure. I mean, right. But he broke that thing. <laughs> it's one of the funniest <laughs> things I've ever seen. But yeah, that was, a, I would say, the beginning of the great fluffy run um and really like i said i wanted to mention the story because uh, it's really testament to all the the great things that fluffy has turned up and done over the years even though he is a madman who uh 
you know, does all the mad things that we talked about, like right. The, cold yeah, there's some people and God knows what, but I'm sure we'll have to tell some more fluffy stories in the future. I figured I had to give a you know say all the positive stuff about Fluffy as well as all the wild man stories. Yeah, awesome. And and uh, you know just to clarify, it was not Chris Gullius who who knew to that deal with the the camcorder. He wasn't even there. So right. <laughs> on, on the record, Ron, it's on the record. <laughs> on the record. Yeah. Well, well, awesome. Well, thank you for the for the another story time. I feel like I have to come up with a different story time drop that indicates like uh, Cincinnati story time. It's like a different kind of story time. Yeah. I don't know. I'll, uh, yeah. What famous one, bands are from Cincinnati? Yeah. The Ohio that, Players? Think, what's that one? What famous bands are from Cincinnati that I could use for the soundbite? Oh, I have no idea. Off like, the top of my head. Wow. But, uh, I mean, the story is, I guess, important in as far as the chain of um, pre-production collecting because it really is kind of the first, you know, part of the... The, the fluffy like inner circle I guess you can call them the inner circle deals in a way because that's what people came to call that whole thing was the inner circle but that really a lot of the stuff that's out there now kind of pre-production stuff came out of that whole chain that whole kind of like wash of stuff over the next few years and that was kind of the start of that but yeah that's how it started was him cold calling people off of lead lists and so when you watch the Wolf of Wall Street and you see those guys doing cold calls, you can imagine Fluffy calling and being like, hey, forget about stocks. Do you, do you ever know anyone who worked for Kenner? <laughs> and that's kind of exactly how the, that was the genesis of that whole thing. Wait, are we burying the lead? Did, did Ron just say that the inner circle exists? I think he just did, Steve. <laughs> yeah. I never denied there was a, what people were talking about was real i just don't think there was no sinister secretive aspect about right. it but there was definitely a group of people who were turning stuff up right there was a closed off. group of collectors who were uh harvesting just, prototypes so from cincinnati i mean it was just there was a few people involved and there wasn't that much stuff and when the stuff came up it ended up getting sold to the same people who were like close friends and there just right. wasn't that much more and it also overlapped with the archive. So that was like, created this impression that there was like this like shadow world, but not really. I mean, it was just a group of people, the same people turning up stuff for a number of years. And then people who ended up buying the extras ended up being the same people like Mike Mensinger or James Gallo or whatever. And then they were like, oh, the inner circle. Well, yeah, I mean, I guess there's a group of people who are getting this stuff, but it's not like people thought there was like a secret sale list or something which there never was or that you know all this crazy stuff it was just kind of innocent more or less right well that's funny we just finally confirmed the existence of the inner circle Steve we'll have to go back and re-edit all those things I was talking yeah, about yeah. this was a big open hobby and anyone can do anything but I guess not uh, no that's awesome <laughs> stuff I mean, is it, always turning up and stuff is always the rare stuff always changes hands among close friends more more often than not Unless it's going for big money, unless you know Tom Derby's selling it to so and so for big money, but I mean, right. that's not just then. It's any time, you know. That's just the way things go. Well, you know, I mean, Steve sold me his uh, uh, Chewbacca engineering pilot for very little money, and that's the little uh, Kivecast inner circle right there. There we go. And since <laughs> Matthias and um. You know, Joe didn't turn up for our podcast here. It's just us and the inner jerkle. That's right. 
Uh, man, what's going on with that man? Man, that would have been good. Whoa, what am I, Steve? Saying man ten times. I'm starting to rub off. It's not good. Yeah. Uh, Well, because a lot of the stuff, like I wanted to do a vocab of reference photo because I feel like Matias knows about that. So we'll have to save that for a time when he can talk to us. Um, I guess he also has a story. So I guess we'll have to have Matias story time whenever he feels like showing up. Um, I suppose we have to, I mean, we have to do a nugget every episode, no matter what, right, Steve? I mean, I think it, it might all collapse if we don't at least briefly dig one up, right? So we're just sitting here in the car and we're listening to Ron listening to his own, uh, story time. Did you feel there's any weaknesses to it, Ron? Uh, I feel like it's too repetitive and sort of all over the place, but, uh, then again, I, I was, uh pretty tired and um what is this what are we doing with this <laughs> i've just the whole point is the whole episode is gargan largan i mean it's over it's over two different it's over two different well, coach you know, I tried harder on the 20 there and broke that tackle and then i made it to the end zone and you know beat him now, now what percent would you say you wanted to give it i wanted to give 100 percent, but i would have said it was more about 75 to 80 i blame steve personally yeah steve did not know how to coach you at all uh he was lost he was half playing zone half playing man-to-man um yeah anyways (laughs) all right back to the nugget tis a nugget from the archive tis a nugget oh my god they're gorgeous from the archive Uh, you, you know, even before we get to the nugget, um, I, we have a new feature here called Scaly Impersonations. So, Ron, we've been driving for like 10 miles, and Ron has just been doing nothing but Scaly Impersonations. So let's just share. Ron, just riff on what it's like talking to Scaly. Well, like I explained in the story, he uh, one, had contempt for Star Wars, and two, I think as part of his bargaining strategy, kind of would... Somehow he thought that by broadcasting his contempt, he would cause us to pay more so he kind of would have his box of super valuable sculpts and hard copies brought on the counter it was like a junk box and he'd be standing back there and we'd be like so how you know scaly how about this and he'd look at us he's like i don't think you guys realize see i just don't care like this stuff you guys you can buy star wars all day i just don't care look around man (laughs) he'd be like i got prince I sell stuff like Maxfield Parish, man. I got people calling me to buy Maxfield Parish. And you see this? This is what I do with this stuff. And he'd take like a sculpt in his hand and throw it back in the box and just kind of shove it from him. And be like, I just don't care. And then we'd be like, okay, well, how about... And then we'd change our offer a little bit. And finally, he would sell it anyway. But it would basically a whole big show, like a kabuki show about how little he cared about Star Wars. And in the process, as he was doing this, like he would break and like, you know abuse the items and just kind of toss them into this junk box and we would just be like horrified like we need to get this stuff out of his hands yeah. now, now is there any uh, one other item that you can remember that definitely came from him at, with the box saying I just don't care man I just don't care you can talk all day <laughs> um, he had an Obi-Wan Kenobi micro sculpt which was in the ad right I think that's one of the pieces in the toy shop ad Yeah. I think Todd may have ended up with that someone ended up with it and I'm trying to remember now whether he actually had... We got the Leia Hoth from him or if Mike got that from someone else. But he definitely had it at one point. 
but uh, and so that, that that's the kind of thing he'd just be throwing around just like I don't care man I don't, you guys <laughs> don't <laughs> Max you'll perish yeah I mean he'd pick us stuff out of the box and he'd kind of like be holding it in his hand and we'd say well how about you know X amount and he'd be like there'd be a pause and he'd be like you guys just don't get it I just really don't care about this stuff Star Wars to me doesn't mean anything and he would, usually he would like toss the thing back in the box and we'd just be looking at it like did it break? Like, did, did, did it break at all? And you know, and it was only the one time that we saw him actually break something. So, so in the event that you've that you've never uh, actually met Ron, when you see him at a convention, just walk up to him and just say, "Star Wars is nothing," and that that could be the way that he knows that you've heard of him through the show. Yeah. And Scaly, like, I would say he was a character from top to bottom. So looks wise, like, like the look would kind of match the attitude. Like he looked kind of. I don't know how you describe it. Like some guy who would just like set up at a flea market somewhere and didn't bathe for a while and just, <laughs> I don't want to knock the guy, but he just didn't, he would look like kind of a squirrely weekend antique dealer. That's kind of exactly what he looked like. Oh man. All right. That's great. Well, now we can finally get back to the nugget, but just, I, there's only so much I, that is so funny. I still care, man. I think we even missed our, our exit for, <laughs> I think we missed our exit for Route 66. Oh man. All right, so for the nugget, uh, Ron, I think we're actually going to talk about something that's in your collection. Oh, <laughs> uh, I think I know what it is. That's <laughs> right. It's a Mr. T plush figure from 1983. No. I do have it. I actually have a Mr. T plush Cabbage Patch Kid that Chris Julius yes. bought for me. Yes. Um, so uh, what are we talking about here? Because uh, I'm tired of hearing – no offense, Ron, but I want to hear Steve. Steve. <laughs> <laughs> Tell me about this thing that Ron knows that Ron more owns, about than yeah, you. Yeah, knows way more about <laughs> than I do. <laughs> so Ron has the the acetate sculpt for for Leia Hoth, our uh, our figure of the month. Uh, it's insane in the sense that how detailed it is. I mean, you, you talk a lot about this in your write up, Ron. But as far as acetate over wax, with acetate being subtractive rather than additive or whatever. And it, it seems like a harsh thing to, to work with, but this guy, Bill Lemon, who was the old school, old schooler of, of those guys, seemed to be his material of choice. But, and it, it, this whole thing ties into the, the story that Matthias had. I don't know if we can, that can be a follow up later, but, uh, that, that can I don't be know. later, but let's, uh, you know, we'll just kind of pretend like this is sort of vocab as well. Okay. So then the word that we're using here is acetate and not wax. Right. So, uh, Ron, what is the basic difference between acetate and wax? Oh, geez. I mean, there's a, a huge difference. I mean, wax, obviously, I mean, wax is used for sculpting a wide variety of products. I mean, I think jewelers in particular use it because it's really flexible, so, and it's really forgiving. So if you're making something really detailed and you screw up, you can melt a piece of it or, you know, you can add or subtract to the wax. You, you can kind of model it in a way as well as just carve into it. Right. Um, which allows for a lot of freedom and a lot of mistakes. Um, acetate um, basically is, it's like a plastic-like material that, I mean, the best way to imagine it is like, you know, sculpting into a piece of marble, like Michelangelo, like, if you make a mistake, that's it. Like you can't go back and fix it. So it's like it's totally subtractive. So you're starting with a block and you're kind of chipping the piece out of that block. There's no adding to it. Um, and this guy, Bill Lemon, is the only guy I know of who really sculpted in the material. 
he was an old-time toy sculptor who kind of cut his teeth on um, model kits. Like, he did a bunch of model kits. I don't know if it's MPC or Aurora or something, but he was known for sculpting the masters for those figural kits. So that's how the Kenner guys knew him. And because he was an older guy who did some of the toys they played with, like, I think they kind of looked up to him as, like, this revered sculptor. And they also just couldn't believe that he sculpted out of this material because he's the only guy who did it. And I think he actually marketed this material. I think he sold it to other people and tried to get oh, okay. I remember hearing that, that someone told us, like, yeah, like, you know, he would, you know, he could sell you that material. So it's like he had an interest in getting people to use this. But he was really the only guy who did it. And, you know, sometimes he'd use milling machines and stuff to get certain details in there, like mechanical details. Just crazy to think that you would sculpt an action figure out of that material. Right. Huh. Um, but he did a bunch of figures for the Star Wars line, and Leia Hoth is obviously one of them. Yeah. And, well, uh, well, what are some of the others? Oh, jeez. You have them off the top of your head? I mean, off the top of my head, he did the original Yak Face, which was later modified. He did the Jawa, Death Squad Commander, 2-1-B, Rebel Commando, 88. Um, did you do Maydeen? Yeah, he did Maydeen. The, the head was modified right. later. Right. Um, there's more that I'm just not wow. thinking about right now. So, but so I mean, much a lot. Like he did a bunch. Uh, stepping in here, driving through Virginia, we got back on Route 66. But uh, Ron, what was the one figure you forgot to mention? The B-wing pilot. Can't believe we forgot the B-wing pilot. So, so Bill Lemon designed that as well. Right, and you know, considering Steve is Mr. B-wing pilot, uh, I don't know what you call that when you forget to mention something you should have mentioned when it's appropriate to do so? No, I think he collects the A-Wing pilot. He does? Okay, forget it then. Okay. <laughs> and really, like, if you if you don't have this as enhanced, whatever, even if you do, just go to the archive, because, Ron, you, you took the effort to take really nice pictures. And, uh, I mean, this is, I mean, this really is art, especially if you consider the way we think about art as far as what sculpture is. It's expression and detail and, yeah. and texture now, and movement. It's all right there in this in this yeah, uh, state. He um, didn't work for Kenner, but he was a contract guy. So they, you know, they did they contracted work out to him. And you know, like Sky said, there is you know, it's definitely a piece of craftsmanship, you know, or art, or whatever you want to call it. Um, especially when you look at the Leia Hoth. I mean, I would say his style and his material was most suited to. Um, droids and stuff like that. The right. power droid in the micro line. He did some micro figures too. He did the power droid unproduced micro figure, which is a which is a droid. He also did the E V ninety nine unproduced micro figure. But you know, with the Leia it's interesting because it has all that quilting and stuff on mm -hmm. the outfit, which is very naturalistic and like organic. Yeah. yeah. Rather than and the kind of angular <laughs> just looking at the, the sculpt and you can see it in the photos on the archive, it's a little bit Mind blowing. I mean, when you look at this, it's just like, man, he had this, to make it look soft, like, you just, the time he must have spent into carving all those little details into a solid block of acetate is hard to fathom. Right. And the, and the oh. hair detail, it's, uh. Well, it's that and the fact that the figure, it's, it's, you know, it's of the regular scale of a figure. It's small. So it's, to get all that in there, it's pretty crazy. Yeah. Um, no doubt. No, I think. He either screwed up or Kenner screwed up with the, the details they gave him, because if you look at the 
archive photos, you'll see someone pointed this out, some observant guy in the, the thread on Rebel Scum about this a few years ago when I first posted this, is that the sculpt is slightly shorter than the hard copy, which shouldn't be. Mm-hmm. And I think it's because um, either Lemon sculpted it too small because maybe he didn't account for the shrinkage in the, the injection molding process, or Kenner sent him the specs without accounting for the shrinkage. And so after they got the sculpt, they enlarged the legs and the arms. Right. Which and that, was, is, uh, that was something Matthias had, had touched base with us about. Yeah. yeah. And I think that Matthias, that mold he has, that odd red mold for the... Mm-hmm. Is it just the legs? It's uh, it's a couple. I think it might be... Wait, wait, wait a second. Do I, have to, do I have to read Matthias's email then? I Matthias's think the story? Letter, I think that relates not to the hard copy, but to the but enlargement... To the- Oh, the mold, or the mold itself being smaller. Yeah, what they did exactly, I'm not sure, but I think they took molds of the legs, made hard copies of them, and then maybe panographed them up slightly into a, an aluminum mold and then shot slightly larger scaled limbs. And that's why, if you look at the hard copy on the archive page, it's not all cast resin, but limbs are actually proto-molded, mm. which in plastic, and the torso right. and head are carbolon, and that's, I think, because of that process. They didn't have hard copy limbs. They they only could do proto-molded ones because they, they had to pantograph those hard copy limbs up into an aluminum mold and then shoot them in the plastic. Um, so yeah, there's some interesting history there, but yeah, that's why the sculpt is slightly smaller. Now, do you think he could have fixed it if he did it in wax? Uh, yeah, I don't know. I mean, that'd be pretty hard to like extend. To make it, yeah, that's a tough change. He may have had to do it all over again, but mm-hmm. I think what I think happened is they sent it back to Kenner, and they're like, oh, you know, oh darn, you know, this this thing is at a slightly wrong scale. Somewhere somewhere along the line, something got screwed up. And they went and fixed it, but the details are all the same. There's no different details. It's just right. slightly larger the size. Yeah, and I I think that's what Matthias's mold relates to. I mean, when this mold first turned up, um, nobody really could figure out what it was for. And I remember the Earth had it, and the guy who was looking to buy it was asking Chris and I, like, he's like, is this the mold used for hard copies? We're like, I don't know. You know, I mean, I don't think it's fake. I, but it just doesn't look like the molds that were made for hardtop. It doesn't match. And that created some angst because we're like, well, you're saying no, it's fake. I don't say it's fake. I think it's real. I, said, I, don't, I don't understand what it's for. I don't think it's for hard copies. And I think that's what it, I think it relates to the enlargement of the limbs. I think that's the history of it. Yeah, well, it's, um, it's, we'll include it in the show notes. And, and Matthias sent us a paragraph which roughly states what you explained. Um, just yeah, he might have more detailed information, you know, but I, I, that's just my memory. And now, a Kivecast reenactment of Matthias's email. No Swedes were hurt in this reenactment, unless you count feelings. I must have left my house at eight, because I always do. Hey, uh, Sky and Steve, this is Matthias of Sweden. Maybe I've already recorded the next episode, but if you haven't and you want to use the attached picture to talk about Leia Hoth protection stuff with Joe, please feel free to do so. It's actually quite a nice story about the mold. It's almost believed to be modern and unused when Kathy from the Earth surfaced it together with a few other vintage silicone molds, e.g. the walrus man head on the archive. 
plus the legs in the mold were even smaller than the production. And the silicone molds and the hard copies that will come from them are bigger than the production parts due to the shrinkage when plastic hooks down. So, I kind of bummed about this mold. Maybe it wasn't used for their hearth back in the days. But the first time I visited Ron and was going through his collection, we stopped and talked about his incredible Leia Hoth prototypes. He has the original sculpt for Leia Hoth. It's fantastic. And he, <laughs> and he mentioned that the legs were weird since they were smaller than production, and that Kenner likely figured out a way to enlarge molds to make legs in hard copy parts larger so the final figure would get the proper three and three quarter size. Guess if I thought that was a, uh, guess if I thought that was awesome news. So the sculptor likely made the sculpt uh, slightly too large, uh, slightly too small. Silicone molds were made from the original sculpt when the legs were either re-sculpted larger or the molds were enlarged in some way. Maybe in the same way McWilliams did with his fakes. Either way, the mold matches the original wax sculpt legs. Smiley face! <laughs> Ron could probably explain that much better. Lots of laughs. Don't know if you can use it if you want to, but you could just give me a round table talk. Give me a call on the phone and I won't answer. Sherpa, out. My train, I'm certain, left the station just when it was two. Um, <laughs> I, I totally lost it for most of that. But uh, there's, there's the Matthias version of the story. You're welcome. Well, I mean, knowing Matthias, I mean... You know, he could be sleepy now and just pop up and pick up the phone because well, you and I saw him just about dead from drinking too much in Seattle. And then uh, we're driving along and all of a sudden, I don't know what we said, but all of a sudden he's like, yeah. <laughs> he's like interjecting into the conversation. Revived, like, yeah. I thought you were completely passed out right there. He's like, fantastic. Ah. <laughs> yes. And then he's back. He kept on singing the Abba drop in the back of the car. He was like John Bonham drunk. <laughs> and, we'd, and we'd just be sitting there driving like, I don't know. He'd be like, ah, ah, ah train. <laughs> so, yeah. so you never know. Maybe he'll just pop up. He's sleeping. He'll just pop up and pick up the phone Maybe before you end your podcast. But that's such a cool story because, I mean, there he was thinking that it might be fake, whatever he has. And it's actually a real strange vintage item with a great story. Um, it's all tied into Leia Hoth. Which yeah, really it is. It's just such a beautiful mold. Um, Steve, I've been showing amazing res like restraint by not interjecting my garbage. Do I, do I now have time <laughs> to interject my garbage? <laughs> what kind of garbage would that be? <laughs> okay, one, the way Ron was describing wax versus acetate made uh -huh. me want to go out on a date with wax. He said, uh, uh, it, it allows for great freedom and mistakes. It's flexible and very forgiving. I'm like, wow, she sounds great. She's single. Um, and then, and then I, have, I have a joke for you, Steve, being a Lakers fan. Okay. Okay. Uh, uh, what did Shaq say to uh, Kobe when he went to the uh, sculptor's workshop in Cincinnati? I don't know. What did he say? Hey, Kobe, how's my acetate? <laughs> And there we have it, folks. <laughs> you need like a rim shot drop. Do you get the joke, Steve? Yes. Okay. It's a lot funnier than that. Hey, Kobe, how's my acetate? It's really funny. <laughs>
Uh, look uh, up Shaq Kobe feud if you don't know. Oh, what I'm talking oh about. man, that that was that was a time. <laughs> <laughs> Tell me how my acetate. Okay. Wow, that, that was like a. Nugget. I'm kind of worried that Joe might have been murdered or something though. Uh yeah. That's Knock on wood. No, actually, if he's like murdered now, I feel like the worst person of all time. Yeah, no kidding. Well, <laughs> I know he works for a pharmacy, uh, and I have seen Midnight well, Cowboy, so. Well, hopefully he's okay. It's a little. Hopefully. It is a little. Uh, Ron points out that I probably didn't mean Midnight Cowboy. I meant Drugstore Cowboy, because I don't think Joe has anything to do with anything they do in Midnight Cowboy, unless he has a whole different life that I don't I didn't know. You were a gay hustler. Yeah, I didn't know you were a male hustler. Uh, nor do I think he has anything to do with Urban Cowboy, unless he goes to Gillies in uh, in uh, cowboy boots. Any other uh, movies with cowboys in the title we can think of, Ron? Uh, not that I can think of off the top of my head. However, I do think the podcast listeners need to know, since we just talked about Matthias, that Sky and I were just speculating how we were going to fit him in the car with all the stuff we have in here. And Sky said, it's all right, he can sit in my lap like a little Ewok. In, uh, I'm actually here, Ron. Uh, I don't know. Is that a Wookiee in his pocket? Is he happy to see me? Uh, all right, we got to get gas at Sheets. By the way, Mid-Atlantic area, way to name your gas station Sheets. It's like renamed by like Adam Sandler in 1994. Uh, all right. You know, they can't all be hits. <laughs> Well, you know what I'll try and do? I'll try to get a little interview with him, if possible, before I record this. And if you I should, do, because he's got to be the preeminent Leia Hoth uh, focus guy, right? I mean, yeah. as far as I know. Yeah. Um, one second. So I'll yeah, just... I just have some stuff. I just, you know, I don't really necessarily have a focus or anything. Yeah, which I'm sure all the focus collectors love. <laughs> I just have some stuff. Yeah, the sculpt. Yeah, stuff. <laughs> yeah, it's just, but it's not like you know. Yeah. I don't have like a huge cabinet full of Flayhoff. I just, I have the microscope too, though. I guess. So yeah. I guess I'm sort of a de facto Flayhoff uh, guy. All right. Well, then, if I do get to interview him, I'm going to put it in right here. Don't go back. All right, well, I am finally here with Joker Savage. How's it going, Joe? Hey, how are you, Sky? Doing very, great. Very glad you had me on. Yeah, yeah, we, we regretted missing you, but you worked really hard to make sure you could catch up afterward, so. Oh, yeah, well, I had to. This is like the, being on here is the thing I dreamed about since you guys started doing these Figure of the Month reviews. Oh, awesome, yeah. I don't think uh, we're, we're going to go back to Leia Hoth. We wound up talking a lot about her this month. I think you'll be pleased. Good. Yeah. Awesome. So uh, you, you told me that you're actually up in your uh, up in your collection room, and you're drinking from a Return of the Jedi glass. Is that correct? Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Have to, and it's the Emperor glass, same as yours. So. Oh wow. You know, mine mine broke a long time ago, so I need to I need to get another set. I, I like that you're uh, playing a real callback to our first couple seasons. That's pretty awesome. Oh cool. Yeah. Well, I was always from the beginning, but I'll hook you up with the glass. I got an extra one. All right. Well, that's good. <laughs> So yeah, I don't know. I just uh, before we even kind of get into the Leia thing, um, I mean, boy, I've, as far as I know, you've kind of always been around, at least for as long as I've been around. How long have you been uh, collecting, Joe? Well, I mean, I started with the modern stuff back in the you know like everybody else did, but then I kind of 
got the vintage bug a little later on and kept going. I think it was after Celebration 2 is when I really decided to start uh, character focus. And then it was just kind of deciding which one to do and thought about it and settled on Leia Hoth, which has been pretty good to me. I've been pretty happy with what I've been able to accomplish there. Now, you, you say settled on. Some people wind up you know, choosing a focus because the one they really wanted was something else. Was there something else you would have preferred? No, I, I really wasn't sure what to do. And, you know, it was a, it was a funny thing. It kind of uh, fell into place. I, I was thinking, like, what could I focus on? And you know, so many people do so many characters and what's really out there. And, um, of course, I didn't know that there were other, you know, Leia Hoth collectors at the time, but because uh, you're just getting out. But I think I wound up first getting a revenge-proof card and... It just kind of went from there because it was just just how I managed to to get that. And then it was a, a carded figure. And then um, I, I think I remember back when I was a kid, she was one of the hardest vintage figures for me to find at, at the time. Her and the Adat driver, I, I couldn't seem to huh. find them. So I, there was something about her character too. I I, I do like. I mean, Lay as a character. I mean, I think even you've mentioned, too, that the Hoth is your favorite iteration of the character. Oh, yeah, yeah. As, as you'll hear when, uh, when you hear the whole episode, my, one of my haikus gets a... Gets a uh, it's very clear how smitten I am with that one particular uh, iteration. And, and as I said, you know, I, I actually came close to having a side focus with her, um, with Leah Hoth, but I just kind of gave up on it because just didn't really seem it. But it's funny, you know, I, I think... It's almost like you could sort of do a, maybe we could come up with this at some point, like a, a character focus, like the three main motivations. It seems like there's, you know, passion for the character. There's uh, a consolation prize because the other character you wanted was taken. And then there's sort of uh, like the, like happenstance, like you just happen to get a piece and then another piece and then you sort of have a run going. It seems like it, there's always some combination uh, at least of two of those things for every focus collector. I think uh, it was just the whole three of them for me. Yeah. It just, just, it just all happened. And then I was like, well, uh, this is what I'm going to do. I mean, I, I was trying to decide what I was going to do. And I, I took a lot of my, from, you know, a good friend of mine, Bill Cable, who's been really, really good to me as far as advice goes and mentor and how to collect. And he kind of really helped get me into the vintage. Yeah. You know, we haven't talked know, to, talked to Bill in a while. Um, so, so you're sort of, I mean, you're pretty big in the whole Pennsylvania Star Wars world, right? Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, because that's sort of, I mean, that seems to be a really good group you have down there. I came to visit, what, during, was that, that was you Pennsylvania social, we drove together. Yeah, 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 yeah social media. That was, uh, that was a good time. Yeah, that was a good time. Another sort of good example, you know, we like to talk about the social aspect of the hobby, where you and I sort of knew each other. You know, we talked a few times, but didn't know each other that well. And, you know, you knew I was going through some, you know, strange times in my life with everything and the divorce and all that. And, like, you invited me down and, like, we hung around and drove and talked and, you know, talked about kids and everything. And one of my favorite bits was... At the very end, as I absolutely had to go home, and you're like, "Oh yeah, here's my collection," and like, <laughs> and it's just this awesome Leia Hoth setup, and I had to look at it for like one second and then leave. But you know, I wouldn't have done it, you know, any other way. That so. wasn't even part of it because you know at that time, and I'm kind of moving the collection room too at this point to a different room in the house because 
you know, I kind of went through some of the, well, I went through the same thing you did here. And, right. and then I, I thought, well, I can make it into a bigger room. And I didn't even have my carded figures out. Oh, man. So, <laughs> yeah, they're all nice. I finally got some, got them all acrylicked up and very, very happy. I'm going to be making a nice display with her. So I, I got to do a limelight. You know, I'd like to show on Rebel Scum or, you know, what I have, but it's just, you know, want to make it really, really nice. But yeah, well, you know, I will do anything, you know, for the focus, you know, it doesn't even have to be just vintage, but um, because there isn't too, too much vintage out there, you know, as far as pre-production goes a lot of times, but, you know, then I'm still doing production. I'll do, I will do, uh, you know, art. I'll do any, any kind of thing. I mean, I had some Disney things with the character on it. Cause even say, there isn't all that much produced. Usually, if somebody does something with Leia, it's going to be, uh, you know, the the bun haired Leia, or you know, they'll do maybe a Bespin Leia, or or slave they don't Leia. Do the Hoth Leia. Yeah, yeah. It's and true. I, I don't know. Just like I said, though, I thought she looked her best in Empire, and that was my 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 favorite favorite outfit of hers. Yeah, actually, it was funny because, I mean, interviewing you know Ron, who has just. You know, he kind of goes on about how it's he doesn't even really have a, a Leia Hoth focus, but the stuff he has represents just the most ridiculous grails you could possibly have. And I was thinking, well, it may be frustrating to have these two guys on the same line. Because, <laughs> uh, I mean, you're a pretty even-killed guy. You don't seem too greedy. So that's... Uh, no, I'm, and like I said, I'm very, very fortunate, you know, in what I was able to get, and I'm happy. I mean, because the first thing you have to realize is you can't possibly have everything. Yeah. So, you know, sometimes you, and I've had to say no to some things that have been offered to me just because I can't, I can't do it at the time. But then sometimes, you know, a little bit down the road, something else will come up and be like, oh, well, you know, that's probably why I wasn't able to do that because look at this, and I'm very, very happy with this. Now, what's the hardest thing you've ever had to pass on? Mm, there was a... I can't remember the... What was this? Uh, the Spanish, the... Carded. Uh, PBP? The, no, the, the, was it Poke? Poke? Oh, yeah. Yeah, there's only like about six of those, I think, in the world. And someone had offered me one of those. And Ooh. that was, I mean, the price was just, I, it was reflected the rarity. Right. But I just, I, I couldn't possibly do it. I mean, as much as I would have loved to have that. And so like, I'm one of the six people, but I, I just couldn't, I just couldn't do it. So it was an Empire Spanish card? Yeah. Oh man! And you, how, I mean, would you mind saying how much it was offered to you for? Oh boy, I don't remember. It's okay. actually, I think I still have it in my Rebel Scum inbox, and then they did list it on eBay later on. And wow. I don't remember how much it sold for. Well, but, if it makes you feel any better, it's probably tripled in value since then. Um. Oh yeah, I know. <laughs> yeah, it's cold comfort. So be it. Did you think you're ready for the Soviet lightning round? The Soviet lightning round, yeah, we could do that. All right, so I've, I've, I've got some of my questions. I got some old ones because I found some old questions somewhere. So this is one I haven't asked in a while. What is your best collecting moment? My best collecting moment? Mm-hmm. Uh, this might make someone in Singapore angry, but okay. was, uh, <laughs> I'm going to say it anyway. Sorry, Derek. There was uh, a four-up that was offered at... Celebration 4, and I I think Hollywood Heroes had it, and I was really, really up for this because, you know, it was one of the 
I didn't have too much pre-production at that time, and I really, really wanted it. And I worked really, really hard to get to the booth, you know, as soon as I possibly could to try to uh, get a hold of it. And uh, I, they still had it, and I was able to get it. And um, I heard that I think Derek wanted it also, and I think he got there, like, in true Empire Strikes Back fashion, like, literally right after I did. Oh, man. And unfortunately, I had sealed the deal. It would be good for me, but unfortunate for Derek. But, um, I mean, it's kind of, you feel bad as you scoop somebody, but, you know, it's just, I don't know, it's just healthy, you know? He, yeah. He, he doesn't bear any ill will, I don't think. But. No, no, and he's, he's, he's scooped and been scooped and, you know, we all scoop and, and been scooped by each other, you know, and that's just the way it is. Like, that's one of the sort of funny things about it is you have all these friendships and then at a certain point you have to be like, yeah, but I'm seriously, I'm going to get that. So just deal with it. Yeah, well, hey, listen, Derek and even Matias have definitely helped me out in the past. So yeah, they've been, they've been very, very good to me. Yeah. Awesome. Um, let's see. Boy, it's not the movies in order. That that question, no one ever likes that one. You know, I'm going to ask it anyways. List the Star Wars movies in order. Of how I like them? Yeah, you don't have to say in order because we all know it's four, five, six, one, two, three. But yeah, like of, of how you like them. Oh, definitely Empire, uh, probably Jedi, A New Hope, Revenge of the Sith, Pack of the Clones, and uh, then Phantom Menace. All right. Yeah, I think I, I think I would try that question for a reason. It's hard to come up with an interesting way to way to talk about it. Okay, you can tell I'm looking at an old file here. <laughs> That's okay. Uh, let's see. Well, oh, I know what I replaced it with. What's your favorite bad line from a Star Wars film? Bad line. It's got to be that sand line from Attack of the Clones. That thing was just horrible. Yeah, uh, I hate sand. Yeah, I hate sand. It gets I, everywhere. I still defend it. I still kind of like – the problem is I think – I've talked about that line before and I've never come up with this point. But I think a lot of it is that he doesn't come across as young enough to deliver that line. If he seemed a little more boyish, it would make a little more sense because it's like, I hate sand. You know what I mean? Like it, it could almost be a line you'd believe, but he's, he's trying to be too adult, I think, to actually deliver that line properly. Yeah, I think it comes off kind of creepy yeah. <laughs> the way he delivers it, but okay. And then if, uh, if your house was burning down after you, you know, save your family and all that, uh, what one item would you take with you? Oh, this is a tough one. I've I got to be honest with you. You know what? I'm probably the only one that's ever going to give you this answer. Uh, I, I'd probably wind up going down with the ship because <laughs> there's just – I'd stand there in front of this, you know, what do I grab? I mean, I have that, I have the, that prize four up that I just talked about that even has an alternate paint scheme. But then, you know, I turn around and I have the elusive concepts, Han Solo and Carbon, and I'm like, well, i got to get that out of here. Or something that's one of a kind that I have of Leia Hoth, like I, I was able to acquire the, the artwork for one of the Star Wars Galaxy cards. I just spend too much time vacillating. I'm like, right. what am I going to grab? And I'd probably, it'd probably be just better if I went down with the ship. Wait a minute. Not the one that was a foil card, the Leia Hoth, where she's like running in front of the AT-AT? No, this was done okay. uh, by Allison Sohn. It was from uh, Galaxy Four. Oh, okay. I think right. she had it was a very, 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 very nice painting that she did. Wow. Okay. So you would rather die than not have every single item of your collection. Yeah, I, I, <laughs> I don't know. I, I don't. I, I think I'd live in eternal regret. So I'd probably have to pull the Captain of the Titanic and get off the ship. <laughs> 
He died doing what he he died doing what he loves, looking at his toes. <laughs> um, and then, what, what's your grail? I mean, I imagine we've we've featured that couple of them, but is there one that we wouldn't expect? Or uh, no, I mean, I think at this point, I, I I really do like the the pre-production. I'd love to get my hands on a hard copy. Right. Um, I'm still looking for. Oh, uh, an Empire Strikes Back proof. I need one of those. Huh. That one, that one's probably fairly attainable. I mean, the prices that are a bit crazy. Probably an attainable one. I mean, the hard copy is going to be. Yeah, but you never know. Someday it may come my way. Maybe not. But. Well, yeah. I mean, that's a, for the that, long game. I mean, I've been doing this since what 2002. So. Yeah, that's that's a lesson I always try to try to teach people. You know that. I mean, once you like get past that mode, that puppy love mode with the hobby, where you're just buying everything that you can, and like you're scanning eBay every day for everything you're looking for. Like once you get past that, it's so much easier to conserve money, and like as long as you don't like get out of the hobby, it just becomes so much more enjoyable to just kind of be like, oh yeah, it'll come up, you know, mess around with other stuff, and then get it. It's not that like high, but it's it's I don't know, it's. You just feel like you know, it's there was a there was a thread on Rebel Scum today. As a matter of fact, is how I forget who posted it, but uh, it was Darren. But he he posted uh, how do you how are you keeping yourself engaged? And you know, I mean, I I've been through some life changes, and I haven't had the time that I used to. And so, I mean, I I, I mean, I actually contributed to this because I I felt like I could. But uh, you know, I, I, the social aspect I think is the most important thing for me. You know, getting together with people. And I mean, then half the time through that, something has come up, you know, and just talking to people, I was able to maybe get something or get a line on something, um, or even just like I said, listening to the Kivecast keeps me engaged. It always doesn't have to be, you know, scouring eBay or scouring yard sales or anything like that. Yeah. So. Yeah. So it's I don't know. I, I like that that it's a long game, but I mean, there's got to be someone. I mean, someone out there's got to have an extra Leahoff Empire proof. I mean, that's got to be... I'm sure there is. Gotta it's be just going to be a matter of finding it and then working something out. But yeah, maybe someday. I, I, I hope so. I would really like that because I do have the other ones. And just to make a nice set and I could frame it and put it in the display. Yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm pulling for you. Um, and then, of course, the most famous question, if you were a vintage collectible figure, which one would you be? Uh, now, what would you want to be, right? Because no, I'd no. probably rather be the contestant or be get way off. But that's <laughs> another story. Well, that, that um, could be it. But I mean, the, the, you know, the whole idea is if you actually were one, what would you be? Now, not you know. Honestly, I'd have to. I'd probably say the power droid. Okay. Because you look at the power droid, and some people go, "He's just a box." Right. But you know, he's really essential. I mean, where are you going without the power droid? Right. And he's got layers to him, and once you really talk to him and you get to know him. You know, I think that uh, he, he's got some he's got some great qualities that most people would overlook by his short stature and boxiness. <laughs> okay, well, that's, that's good. Yeah, I mean, I mean, who doesn't? I mean, uh, especially the I saw it at the New England meeting. General Giant just came out with the the giant size power droid. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Actually, I did pick that up. I think too. It, it's really awesome. Yeah, that's that's going to be hard not to take out of the box. I just oh, it's already out. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> My boy and I play with them. He loves those things. Yeah, that's awesome. Uh, well, cool. Well, um, unfortunately, this is kind of a crazy, super long episode, so I think I should probably cut the interview off here. But we will have you on again. I'm trying to get better at like 
bringing, you know, recording. St- the problem is whenever I go to meetings and stuff, like I just, yeah. I just want to talk. I don't want to record. But uh, I mean, I know we had so many great conversations last time. So hopefully, we get down to another Pennsylvania meeting. Yeah, definitely. I know I'm having one in September. So you, uh, as you know, you're more always more than welcome here. So so that that's at your place in September. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Huh. Well, there you go. So if you want to see, uh, I, I don't know, the the coolest Leia Hoth collection in the world, you can go September and see it. Yeah, that would be great. Yeah. Awesome. Well, I'll. Uh, and if I didn't get to interview him, then you just there's no break at all. Yep. Um, wow. Well, let's see. Our, is that is that it, Steve? Oh, every single year, every single month, I say is that it before the market watch. <laughs> well, Steve, you drive the market watch, and you could have two contestants for the for the Vlix is right. Yeah, we could do it that way if you guys want. If you're up for it, what at least for for part of it. Well, Diane, Diane, you got the candle of the market watch. I don't want to like hog your podcast here. I feel bad. Uh, well, it is the Star Wars Collectors Archive podcast, right? So you are like an actual okay. part of the archive. So you technically could just come. You or anyone from the archive could just come and just go, blah 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 blah, blah and we would like be legally required to record it. Legally and publish required. It. Yeah. Okay. So. Um, but if you don't, if you don't feel like guessing how much a, uh, a, a 31 back IG 88, uh, AFA 85 went for, then we can also let you go. <laughs> I'm terrible at the market watch though. 85 IG 88. No, I don't, I, I, I just made that up. Oh. Yeah. All right. Well, we'll, we'll let you go then before the market watch. Yeah, we can, well, I mean, the market watch can be quick, Sky. We can, we can get through it pretty quickly. All right. Uh, cool. But. All right, well, this is normally the part. Have you guys ever noticed that I have no idea how to end an interview? I just say for like 45 minutes, okay, I'll talk to you later then. Okay, talk to you next time when I talk to you. Okay then, so talk to you later. So there's a whole part where I said that to Ron, but I couldn't leave that in while he was sitting here driving and listening. So we're stuck on traffic in 95. We're actually going down and visiting Chris Jorgulius. I get to see his collection. That's pretty exciting. So uh, that's where we're going. And um, we are uh, going to get to the Market Watch then. Right, Ron? One dollar flicks. Market Watch. Okay, Steve, so what do you have for the, the market watch? I don't look at it anymore because I don't want to spoil the surprise. Okay. All right, well, I guess what we should do... We'll or should I look with... at it? Well, no, no, it's okay. We can do we can do a Leia Hoth, kind of traditional, which you'll still be surprised. <laughs> um, and then we'll... I think we got just three things I picked out for, for your guessing game, and I, I tried to be a little bit better prepared this time. Okay. So, um, all right, so for Leia Hoth, uh, the most common thing that Mike uh, came up with, there was a few 41 backs of quite a bit different price ranges. So um, I'll start with, we'll kind of go lowest to highest here and see see the, the range. But uh, there was a 41A that sold for 200 uh, and it was a graded, let's see, AFA 70. So like the bubble seemed to have a problem, but it still sold for you know 200 bucks. 
Wow. Um, so that's that's where it kind of starts on the 41s. Um, that's 41 A's. And then we go to the 41 D. We had one that was kind of, it looked like it may have been run over by someone's car just slightly. <laughs> the card back is a little wavy, but otherwise it's pretty nice. And that one for 162. Um, let's see. And then once you start getting into the, the higher grade stuff, you, you start to see the spike happen like usual. There was a 41D that was an AFA 80 that jumps up to 365. Wow. Which is just crazy. Um, but here's here's the real crazy. Once you get up to an AFA eighty five, it seems like it's it's the the constant magic number. This is a forty one D that went for just over a thousand bucks. Okay, how many man's is that the man of the that's, is that the man of the month? I think <laughs> in, as far as the the figure of the month, that's definitely the, the man of the month. That's like the like man of the month. A forty one D sells a thousand dollars. Yeah, it's just insane. Just, just to give you an idea, uh, ten years ago, you could buy a twelve-back <laughs> proof card for a thousand dollars. Okay, right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> a twelve-back proof card you could get for a thousand dollars, or or even further back in the day, a a star tot sculpt or whatever. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, you know, that's twenty bucks. years ago, but I'm talking. Well, yeah, still, yeah. Even yeah, you're you're right. Just not that long ago. <laughs> it's just uh, oh man. So, not That's the man of the month for an A for 85. Yeah. All right. Yeah. All right. So now you're ready for just a brief Blixes, right? Yes. Okay. Um, now, Pete did a, a, a nice thing, actually. He has an article that he's he's coming up with that's more of a analysis kind of piece, which doesn't really work well for the podcast. It's more of a reading thing. So when you get a chance, go to the, the Kivecast marketwatch.wordpress.com to check that out. But... What he did send me was a little list, kind of a snapshot of eBay Star Wars auctions uh, that all seemed to be, he kind of like sorted it so it was the highest to lowest of stuff that sold recently. And I just picked three things that kind of jumped out at me as, as interesting. Okay. All right. You ready? We're going to do this kind of last, like last time where I'll give you a multiple choice. Um, yes. And you, you pick out where you, where you think it lands. All right. So item number one is a Palatoy 12-back original Leia. Uh, that's graded AFA uh, 80, 85, 80. I don't know what that comes out to. Uh, probably an, an 80. Um, okay, so choice A, 5,025. Choice B, 2950. Choice C, 3,725. B, 29. No, A, $5,025. Okay. That's. that's Okay. I mean, it's, it's Palatoy Leia. I mean, I guess, you know, <laughs> it is what it is. Um, all right, item number two. This is something I don't think we've ever talked about on the show before. It's a mint and sealed box Sonic-controlled land speeder. Ooh. Yeah. Now, this is something that I've always just kind of, yeah, I don't know, just never thought about it much. I always had the old land speeder and didn't ever think about getting one of these. But uh, it's it's something we haven't done. So let's let's see. Uh all right, so choice A, 2100, choice B, 5650, choice C, 575. 575? Yeah. <laughs> no, 5650. Okay, I don't, I don't really know anything about the Sonic Land I, I, I know it's kind of rare, it's, but... I knew it's rare, and I, 
<laughs> but yeah, this kind of showed me like what what am I missing here? Wow. But yeah, yeah, sealed one. It's not graded any. It's it's nice, but it's it's sealed. Five thousand six hundred and fifty dollars. Wow. Insanity. Um. So yeah, I guess I won't be getting one of those anytime soon. No. <laughs> um. All right. Lastly, to kind of fit in with the the comic theme. Um, we have a Marvel Star Wars comic number one, and I, I don't know, I know that, you know, the comics have their own grading system, but this one grades a CGC 9.4 with white pages. Now, the caveat with this is it's, I'm, we're just going for, guess what the best offer listing was, like what was his initial, because it doesn't really say what it actually sold for. But, okay. uh, so just guess what this was listed at. Choice A, 8500 Choice B, fifteen thousand. Choice C, fourteen fifty. C, fifteen grand. So it's choice B. <laughs> now I have no idea what it sold for, but well, that good. makes sense because that's like the top of the it's top like, of the top yeah. of Star Wars comics, I guess. Right, right. But uh, and it's funny. It's like looking at it. It definitely has a Star Wars cover <laughs> compared to what we were talking about earlier. They they definitely were going for. All right, we know what Star Wars is. Uh, we can kind of run with that for a bit before we get into the Wright Brothers. Uh... Tired of finding that sound effect. Uh, I'm back here with Ron. He had two points to make. One, that it's just insanely hard to find a sealed version of the Sonic Landspeeder. So he was not that surprised at that price. Ooh, I got a text. Uh, and then the other one was that I probably should have mentioned that it was the 35 cent version of the Star Wars number one comic. Which is like the, the rare one. It doesn't seem like fifteen grand is usually the going rate, though. But okay, now back to the market watch. Gliders and, and such. <laughs> right, yeah. <laughs> uh, but yeah, I don't. I don't know. I'm sure I don't use eBay much anymore. So there might be a way to, to dig in and see what what the actual best offer he accepted was. But it was originally listed for fifteen grand. Wow. So what was my score out of three? I had uh You got let's see. <laughs> carry the one. <laughs> I don't know if you did so great this round. No. But uh, <laughs> it's okay, you'll get better next time, I think. <laughs> awesome. Uh, but yeah, hey, thanks again guys. They they literally got the stuff to me today. So uh you you guys are always right on top of it and I, I really appreciate it and and so should everyone else uh, check out because there's other stuff that we don't always talk about on here that, that's worth uh, taking a look at. So thanks again, Pete and Mike. Yeah, yeah. The the I mean the slightly sung they're not unsung heroes, but they're they're maybe like like um, the part of shout where they go a little bit louder now, a little bit louder, <laughs> like kind of whisper sung heroes. I got of it. The yeah. podcast. <laughs> Yeah, they, they they deserve a lot of credit, so they do. Uh cool. Well then I guess we're ready for the uh uh yeah. feedback. Yeah. Alright. Here at the Kivecast, we really do care. You can email us at kivecast at gmail dot com. Twitter us at Kivecast or join us up on our Facebook page. We really do care. All right, Steve. So, feedback. Where do we want to start? Well, <laughs> the general, you know, in-person feedback and just I've generally a lot of big fans of the feud between ourselves oh. and Fruitcast. 
Um, which is and speaking of places that have ties to England, uh, Scott Bradley, uh, Canada's greatest know-it-all. This is why I'm proud to be Canadian. This season on Canada's greatest know-it-all. Scott Bradley, Bradley. Just yep. just went off. Um, he mentioned that Sears Canada vacuum sealed figure says Lando's aide on it. Right, um, right. And he was even referred to as Lando's aide in the Tops card. He was referred to as Lando's aide um, in the in the uh, credits. And he points right. out that there's a Doritos Pog made with Lobot where yes. he opens up his eyes. Yeah, you uh, got to get well, that thing. I've, I've already got it and given it to Bart, but I'm okay. ashamed I forgot okay, that. Good. Just like I'm ashamed I forgot the Lando cover because I bought that and, bought, and gave that to Bart a long time ago. Um, <laughs> okay. So, uh, yeah, some more talk about that, I suppose. Oh, yeah, Jared did a great picture of Lobot turning into <laughs> the American Werewolf in London. Yes, yeah. <laughs> uh, which we'll put up Lobo. on the show as well. Lobo. And uh, that was pretty much it for that. We did. I, the nice thing was being attacked by um, the Fook cast was good because it made a lot of people come out and say, hey, man, your show's good. And as you guys know, I am an absolute... Uh, I'm, a, I, I'm a sponge for, for compliments for the show. So we got lots of nice ones of those, which I appreciate. Um, a guy named uh, Daniel said that he makes a point to buy a focus figure from each show. So like <laughs> this time we have a show, he buys one figure. So I think that's pretty cool because why not? You have an idea of the market... What you know of that figure right, by the time we're done? That's true, man. We're at really utility for for collectors. We so are. It's, it's a good thing. <laughs> um, Brian sent us a really nice email, which I think you should read. That uh, okay? Which which Brian? Uh, AT driver. Okay. Um, he just says that he loves us, <laughs> and that uh, I am witty, sensitive, and intellectual, and that uh, you are calm, peaceful, and decent. And your complete wow. lack of ego is a rare thing, except when you're trying to murder your dog, you animal. I don't know where that last came <laughs> Steve, what did you think of that, oh. of me recording yeah, that's right. we haven't really myself about that. while I was editing? What did you think of that? I mean, I, I like the the fact of kind of getting into the process. It's something I always wondered, like, when exactly or how exactly you go about editing the show. I don't know if you, like, sit through it all at once or if you kind of piece it together. And in a sense, it was it was cool for me, just... Yeah, as your friend, right. and like on the other end of this, like how, where does this come from? Like, where does it, you know, end up? Um, but no, I mean, it. I thought it worked fine, um, and for people that are interested, back to the the, uh, the fantasy baseball recently. You never need to check, man. You're always oh, that's not these true. Days. I've got. Have you checked out the amount of injuries I've had to deal with? <laughs> Cliff Lee, Jose Fernandez. The, I mean, my two best pitchers, both gone. It's been rough. You always seem to figure it out. Now, whereas me, like, I needed, like, I had a bunch of injuries, so I put my backup catcher in the night that he broke his ankle celebrating another catcher <laughs> catching a no hitter by stepping on that catcher's. So if only. <laughs> wait, wait, tell the story again. Happened to me, right? Tell it again. Okay, so this, this, is the, this is how it plays out. I, just it's a tradition. I usually pick the Dodgers catcher as my last player because no one ever picks him. I got to pick a random Dodger as my last player. So it turns out at this point, I had so many injuries on my team that I absolutely needed him to be in the lineup. So I put him in the night 
he uh, jumped on his competing catcher's mask just after a no-hitter happened. So he's out. <laughs> but only what happened to me when I actually try to, like, actually do it. And it, it's just, yeah. Wow. I can only laugh. Yep. Well, I am currently in first, <laughs> but not by the crazy margin I was before. And I think I've, I've jumped down to, to eight. Yeah. So. You're, you're an eighth. I'm not at the I'm not at the bottom, but no. Just give me some yeah. time. We we all have faith in Steve. <laughs> uh, well, hey, guess guess who was our uh, our figure next month? I have no idea. You have no idea? It's none other than Cliff Clavin himself. Oh wow! Yeah, the mustached Rebel Commander. Wow, that's cool. It's quite a step down from that yeah. Hoth. I know, I know. It's, it's going to be tough for you, but we'll... we'll... Awesome. Well, then, uh... Wampa Wampa! Adios. Adios.